Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. I'm your co-host, Wasni Big Waz, the Haitian sensation, the Haitian irritation, Lambre in the building, in the place to be. I don't know why I'm talking like it's the 80s, Mike. You are. Put, along, put alongside me. Very 80s feel. It is my brother, man, my compadre, Michael Jamal, Shabazz, Abdul Brooks. What's good, my brother? Allahu Akbar Waz, it's great to be with you as always. How you doing? Man, you know, I'm here, man. I can't complain. You know, it's always a tough week coming off of a live show. And, you know, yep. we, I had to be out of town and this, this, that. And the third, you don't sleep in your bed and this and that. But I felt like I rebounded really strong this week, was really productive. I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty happy with myself. I'm sure you've been super duper busy on your side. Oh, yeah, man. The last, you know, I mean... Between this, what we do, in fact, even though it's like, you know, part time, obviously, I mean, it's only one show a week, but we got prep. Then I got majority port every day. And then 
all of my waking hours are focused on the Michael Brooks show. So it's, it's crazy always. And then you had a debate night on Tuesday. So I had to cover the debate, which is the normal Michael Brooks show main uh, show night. And then I did the Michael Brooks show on Wednesday and then Thursdays I'm the lead mic on the majority report. So I'm just kind of like, woo, but it's all right. (laughs) It's all fun. It's a blessing to do. And by the way, it's a, Exactly. It's a blessing to be employed. It's a best blessing to be able to pay your bills. It's a blessing to, you know, drink some Johnny Blue every now and again. You know, it's a blessing to be the rich man, Michael Brooks. <laughs> I don't know about rich, but I, I'll go with the last couple of years, first time in my life being able to pay bills. I'll, I'll go with that. That's, that is beautiful. I appreciate it. So, so, yo, man, I mentioned our live show that just passed in San Francisco at the Independent. It was fantastic. Sold out crowd. Our biggest show ever in the Bay. The crowd was energetic, excited. I got to talk to so many different people after the show, like people from all different walks of life, man, like community organizers, activists, teachers, freaking people that work in the tech world. It was like, it was crazy. A lot of people talking to me about the woke bros and Michael Brooks and what he's doing. Um, My favorite thing, Mike, is when somebody comes up to me and said they either got into the show because of me, because of you, or they're now locked into what Michael Brooks does because of us. And there were plenty of people there doing that. So, you know, shouts to everybody that came to San Francisco, but tell us about Philadelphia, Mike. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, I love the synchronicity and I know like I just say uh, you're going to have to get back on TMBS real soon we've been kind of slowing those yeah, up need- to like feed the energy onto the woke bros but we need, it, we need, it. We need you back real soon um, at Philadelphia live show I will, I, I'll say this so every show that we've done for TMBS thankfully again with all appreciation has been packed right And I don't know, like, I I think we sold out L.A. I know my point being is that this is following the same trajectory. But the Philly show, um, I don't know what the exact count is off the top of my head. But we have never, with still five weeks out, been this, have sold this many tickets. So I would say I'm pretty certain that this is going to sell out and not sell out like day of. I think this might sell out like a week or two before. So I'd snag it quick. November 23rd. Uh, that's the week before Thanksgiving. Don't worry about your schedule. Amazing guests. Artesia Balthrop, who, you know, people are getting to know as a public figure kind of through TMBS. But Waz, you've known for years that this is an incredibly sharp. I mean, somebody who's like a mastermind in the entertainment business as an EP and you're sitting there talking to her and you're like, Artesia, like you need to get in front of the camera. Like you have yeah. a lot to say, my friend. Her life and her life experiences are just incredible. So, it, you know, yeah, her, I mean, she's brilliant. She's witty. Her life experiences are incredible. She's compassionate and savvy. I mean, she's just everything that we're trying to put out there. It's an honor to get her involved. And then we've got the heavy hitters of the great crystal ball. You know, we do a lot of work together. Now you'll remember her from MSNBC, but now you'll also be watching her on the Hill on uh, MSNBC on a rising on the Hill on YouTube, where she is murdering it. And also uh, the great, Emma Viglin from the Young Turks, another regular, another awesome person I have the honor of collaborating with. They're all coming out there with us. We're going to have a great time. All right. On today's show, we're going to get into the squad endorsing the one, the only 
Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's obvious that they would do so, but we want to get into the particulars of that. Couple of hurt fifis out there, I feel like, but whatever. <laughs> um, we'll get into that a little bit. Gina Rodriguez got black people up in arms again. So myself and Michael, we're going to tackle that. Um, just get into the complications of feminism and intersectionality and where that can lead sometimes down the wrong roads for even people who like to call themselves woke. And I would like to take this moment to explain to people that the name of this show is actually sarcastic and ironic. Um, oh, 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 if, to the maximum. I, I, everybody <laughs> is clear. Self-describe ourselves. 50% of that title is honest, and 50% is a reach at best and mostly (laughs) a joke. Yeah. I would never call ourselves woke. But this is the problem when, you know, a lot of people like to wear that title, wear that hat, but it comes with a lot. Um, But first, of course, man, we want to get into the what seems like the seventh million millionth Democratic debate of the cycle already. Uh, It happened Tuesday night, Mike. I know you covered this extensively and you've, you know, on both on your show. I'm sure you've discussed it with other people. I haven't gotten a chance to catch up with you about it. Uh, What were your main takeaways from the night besides the fact that Bernie looked like an animal? Fresh out of heart surgery. I mean, what else can I say? He came out swinging. (laughs) I mean, well, look, the dude, it's very fun. And just like there's no, you know, well, I mean, the title is a joke, but, you know, I'm... I'm very transparent. I think this election really matters. And Bernie Sanders is the one that needs to be elected. It just is what it is if you're serious about the state of where we are in politics today. So I'm clear about my support for the man. But, you know, I'm willing to say, oh, he kind of had a slow night. Right. Or um, I think as an example, his campaign should get a real ad team in place because they need to seriously up their advertising game, right? Like I'm willing to, I'm able to look at this clinically. And so what was a pleasure about that night was the best candidate, this noble fucking man recovering from a heart attack, killed it. And he also showed, I think, parts of his personality that I think, you know, you and I are familiar with because we follow this stuff. Um, but people might not necessarily see like, look, unless you're totally dead inside and you don't understand what's going on in the world, then, you know, we all recognize that some of Bernie's ranting, like that's righteous and he's right about all of it, but you also need to show other parts of the personality. And he did, he had a twinkle in his eye. He had humor. He had heart. He had poise. It was amazing. Now juxtapose with The bias against him that you get on cable news is fucking awe-inspiring. I mean, Amy Klobuchar got more questions and more speaking time than him, and she's at 1% in the polls. It's fucking embarrassing. Um, And you should never – MSNBC and CNN should be quarantined, and you cannot – you simply cannot trust them and rely on them to cover Bernie Sanders or the – obviously the broader issues of labor and inequality in any type of serious fashion. They're – you know, they really are just corporate – trash 99%. Um, besides that, man, I thought, you know, I think Warren didn't help or hurt herself. Nothing really derailed her, but, um, she didn't shine. I think where she's good is clear. I think her limitations are clear. Joe Biden probably had his best night, but that just means like his teeth didn't fall out. Uh, he's really starting to tread water. Um, 
you know, Buttigieg, I just increasingly loathe. I think he's the most disingenuous person up there. Klobuchar, it's fucking embarrassing. Beto, I'm ready to, you know, bring the sad Gen X song to an end. <laughs> Andrew Yang, like, please. Wait, Beto's a Three Doors Down song? <laughs> yes. Yes. That's exactly what I'm Sound saying. Soundgarden? Yes. <laughs> Oh my God! It's Soundgarden that got spiritual. <laughs> so done with this shit. And then you know, the only other thing that I would actually say, I think that that's that's worth mentioning, and we can kind of keep you know touching on other people, uh, you know, in their performance maybe. But I, I just want to say an honorable mention to uh, Julian Castro, and I've been very tough on him because his record is not. We have. Right. Like as as head of Obama's HUD, he was bad. OK. And, you know, I think he's kind of nerdy. I, I wasn't I had a very high bar with him, but I noticed, you know, there's been multiple debates now where he has spoken more clearly about ice, about the border um, than almost anybody or anybody. And on the last debate, when he connected the murder of that woman in her home that took place this past week, another police murder of someone sitting in their fucking house, a, a black person, um, I thought that when he said gun violence is also police violence, I just, you know, that this is where you really do have to just, you know, it's... I, it's funny because some people think because I'm so clear on my candidate and I'm not fucking around, I'm not willing to give credit where credit is due, but I actually always am. And Julian and, you know, Tulsi Gabbard at times has said things that I think are important about the military and war, though her worldview is totally off, in my opinion. And that's a whole other story. But I've been willing to say, oh, she said, don't, you know, enough. Stop trying to regime change Venezuela. Credit where credit is due. Well, Julian Castro, with regards to ICE, the border and now race and policing, a lot of credit where credit's due. That's really the only other thing that jumped out to me in the debate. Yeah, I, uh, for me, it's, it's really about the, the big three. And then I think Mayor Pete is is trying to position himself as the Biden replacement because oh, yeah. everybody's kind of noticing that like this. He ain't long for this one. Um, I, I noticed that he's trying to position himself as the centrist center left replacement. Right. And, you know, the most annoying part about the Democratic Party's coalition is are the center left people. <laughs> but whatever, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they, they're strange bedfellows for people who are leftists or way more progressive. But it is what it is. And that's what you see when they're trying to challenge Elizabeth Warren, which I guess this is kind of her first debate as the clear front runner. At this point where they all the centrists decided we want to hear Elizabeth Warren say on the record that she's going to raise taxes on the middle class to, to do her Medicare for all. And she dodged it, which is problematic. But that's I don't think today's show is a show for that. We're going to have plenty of time to dig in um, Elizabeth Warren and why she's simply not a better candidate than Bernie. But I thought, you know. Just for this debate, it was interesting that they decided to take that tact. It was no longer let's go get Biden. Now it's let's go get Warren. And, you know, what I've noticed is that Bernie and 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 Warren have decided on a, a truce temporarily. 
um, it seems like they've decided that we should be the last two standing, um, and then we can attack each other after that. That's I don't know how I feel about that tactically. Then again, I don't get paid to make those kinds of decisions, so it doesn't matter. But um, it's clear that they've decided that they are in a ceasefire right now. Yeah, I mean, and Bernie I think that's- decided to use some of his bullets on. Bi- oh, that Biden when he was like, "Yeah, let me tell you what else you did." Pass. <laughs> no, that was that was beautiful. Ooh, that was so fun. I really do think you know. I think it's our job in media, but I also I, I think Bernie's going to need to. You know, he's going to take the heat because the people are all biased against him. And, you know, Bernie could say, you know, I respectfully disagree with my friend Elizabeth and they'll say he's being a bully or whatever. He's got to just absorb that. We all know. But I I think that he is going to need to, um, you know, delicately and certainly anybody in the periphery of the campaign or outside the campaign. I've been doing a lot of content on all of the problems with Elizabeth Warren because, you know, in some respects, I think it's because, you know, a lot of people who are, you know, more savvy and, and more kind of into politics, like they already understand why Joe Biden's trash and they probably have a pretty good understanding that Pete Buttigieg is trash. And Elizabeth Warren, you know, has some appealing qualities and some appealing ideas, but there's huge problems here on health care, on foreign policy, on student debt relief. And there's and, you know, Bernie is putting absolutely everything on the table with also a theory of how to do it like no one else has. So I think those distinctions are going to need to be increasingly made. However, it might be tactically beneficial for him to lean back and in some ways because he's got, you know, he still has the most money on hand. He's got the most loyal funding base. There's no other candidate, including Trump, has. Uh, contributions for more individuals than Bernie Sanders. So, you know, maybe what you do is you let people like Buttigieg launch all of these attacks. Oh, by the way, that was another moment. Yo, the biggest call. OK, I've been wrong about Warren. I didn't think Warren would blow up like this, although in retrospect, I could see why I made that mistake. And I didn't anticipate that the media would give her as much help as they've given her. But I always knew that obviously she's a smart and disciplined candidate. Uh, but I miscalled that. I was right about Beto. I knew Beto was think immediately. But the biggest mistake that I have made is, man, I gave Kamala Harris way too much credit. Ooh, what we all did. Oh, doing? my Dude, that exchange about getting Trump off of Twitter, Twitter did, you see, did you see Elizabeth Warren smirking during that? It was like, okay, you want to make a fool out of yourself? I'm going <laughs> to let you. Like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Deplatforming? Like, first of all, I think it's important that his shit is on the record. I, I, I honestly... Don't think he should be deplatformed. I think like people knowing what the president of the United States actually thinks is like a big fucking deal. It's a level of transparency that I don't think it's to be tweets that could help in an impeachment trial. Right. Like it's a level of transparency that I don't think has ever existed in the history of that office. Like, just think about it. Like, think about like. George Watt from George Washington to now, right? Like how many people actually knew a single thing about Andrew Jackson (laughs) who were like Americans, right? Who might've even voted for him and all that on a day to day. Like what did they know? No television, no radio. Like this level of like him transmuting his thoughts right to my damn phone from his brain to my phone. Like I I think that's 
Anyway, it's stupid. It's it was stupid. Just, it, it, it's so embarrassing. It's like yes. the guy, it, like he he has he has millions of Twitter followers. You know what he has? He has uh, over ten thousand nukes. Like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, I I and just looking also that not only did she do that, but all of the people around her campaign who are all absolute idiots from the Hillary Clinton's comm staff, like they're so dumb. These people, Ooh, they stealing like, money, yo. They, but they also seem to be genuinely delusional. I mean, because she should fire all of them. Like, they are doing yeah. her such a disservice. Like, I was joking on the show today that Bill Clinton was like, you know, that it's some type of conspiracy. Like, we got to unload these people somehow, Hillary. Like, I'm sorry. I think Kamala's going to need to bite the grenade. <laughs> you know, like, we got to offload all these Dude. morons because we're not going to be robbing money from Haiti anymore. We don't have the same payroll. She, she never <laughs> she never had answers for anything. Like she never like Warren came ready for all a lot of not I don't, I don't want to say all, but a lot of the stuff that she knew was going to be lobbed at her. She knew where her blind spots were and she came ready with answers. Bernie, he remembers his shortcomings from, you know, four years ago. And he was like, all right, I'm shoring myself up. I'm getting ready. Biden is so delusional. He thought he could just show up, pull his <laughs> dick out and everybody would swag. suck it. Biden's just, yeah. it's like, it was just like, okay. But Kamala Harris just, she never anticipated that people would question her and her record. She thought her record was going to be a strength. She thought she was going to be able to run on her record and not defend it, right? Like, which is the opposite of what's happened. It's not been a plus for her. It's been a, and just like, she clearly got terrible advice and clearly had no idea what direction the winds were blowing. And her campaign has been embarrassing to the point where you can't run again, I don't think. You're you're done the no, national she's, politics. She's, yeah, I mean, this you're is finished. bad, man. This is bad, especially Although, I, I think she would be incredible on TV. I think she'd be an amazing pundit. <laughs> yeah. But like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she just, you know, she'd kill CNN and, and, and MSNBC, but, like, she can't. No, no, no public office. No national office. You ain't built for this, ma. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I, I mean, I think, you know, in some ways, it's you know, it just is what like. There's just the limit to how much you can do if you're not really running on anything, you know. But yep. it, that was just that was just wow. And I gotta say too, when she set up that question before it became a joke because it became about Twitter, and the first thing she said to Elizabeth Warren. Now, Elizabeth Warren has done some work on the side, right? She did some work with Dow Chemical. She did some stuff in her legal career. You know, lawyers are very touchy about it. Lawyers don't like any legal work to be criticized, but I think it's worth looking at. I don't think Bernie Sanders would do some of that work, but I will say this. I mean, the idea that Kamala Harris in the setup to that question goes we have a two tier we can't have a two tier justice system i'm looking at her like you are the same public official who literally arrested mothers for school truancy mm. and let steve Mnuchin off the hook and you didn't prosecute him and that is well well reported i mean 
as funny as it is, that's just disgusting, man. Yeah, she's um she's she's just problematic. Um at this point I don't even know what she's doing. Her she's polling way in the bottom of the single digits. She's had nothing but gaff after gaff. She embarrassed herself again with this Twitter Trump stuff. She's out of here. She was man, I thought she would be formidable too. I was like, she's a black woman. She obviously has that law background. She's attractive. She knows how to speak. Right. Like she's very magnetic when she speak when she's been speaking in other arenas. And again, she's doing she's speaking in places where she's not defending her horrible record. Right. And again, she did. They just didn't read where the winds were blowing. Um, This whole centrism. I, I was locking people up. I'm tough on crime, blah, blah, blah. That shit it ain't going. It's just not going to work. And especially like you don't even have the benefit of being in the close proximity of the last shiny thing to come through the party, which is Barry. Right. Like. Joe Biden could ride Barry's coattails into ridiculous polling numbers without having to do anything and having, quite frankly, a horrible record in the, you know, in the context of 2019. So you don't have any of those things and you just thought you were going to be able to slide on through. And yeah, she's out. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I just I, I totally agree. And I think it's just it's embarrassing. I mean, I, honestly, that's that's like really <laughs> When you start to get like like Buttigieg is still at the point where it's like this is disgusting. He's lying about health care. He's a bad man for the corporate you know uh, sector. He's a danger to the working people of this country. There's something very sinister about his anti-politics. But it's still at that phase of like this is disgusting. And Kamala turned the tear. And I really I never thought she would get here. I thought she had all of the makings of an extremely plausible candidate. And she actually just turned into the lane of like, oh my God, I'm laughing at you. Wow, all right. Yeah, and 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 before we move on from the debates, I do wanna say um, your point about uh, uh, Julian Castro was a well-taken one. Um, and I think it's important because he's decided to come in and lob bombs about really important stuff. And, excuse me, the, the, the importance of that is these candidates got to be on the record about it. And not only do they have to be on the record, we get to see where the winds are blowing about this type of stuff. When people don't bring it up, you know, something like Medicare for all, when you don't bring it up, you can pretend that nobody actually wants it. Right. Right. (laughs) But when you bring it up and you put it in, um, in the foreground of the, the, the public discussion in the public domain, we have to actually tackle this stuff. And I think it's important. He's going to lose. He's obviously trying to, you know, get his summer body on so he could become somebody's Veep. It's clear what he's doing. He's he's trying to slim down. He's like, "Mm, don't you, don't you like this six pack? (laughs) <laughs> Don't you like this booty? I've been working on squats. Okay, so so like that's better really use clear. of his time than like seriously trying to run. I mean, yeah, 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 for sure. So I get what he's doing. Some people might say it's cynical because he knows he's not going to win and he's trying to get the VP. But I think it's just an important public service, and you know, whatever the fuck happens with Bernie's party. I mean, with Bernie's candidacy, obviously we, we're supporting him. We want him to win. I still maintain him running in 2016 against Hillary Clinton. Like, move the party so fucking forward, dude. Like, just just try to imagine Hillary Clinton and the three white dudes who I do not remember. 
who weren't Bernie Sanders, who she was running against last time around. Just try to imagine what the party platform would be today, but for Bernie Sanders. And so not to say, obviously, Castro ain't no Bernie now. We're not going to do that. But I do think he's performing an important job. No, I, I, I really I totally agree. I mean, he's the only person actually like I, I, I most of the candidates have been sort of like what I'd expect. And I'm not that impressed to begin with or they've sort of diminished in my eyes. Uh, you know, obviously, other than Bernie. I mean, look, I don't I don't play at all. Obviously, I think they're all jokers besides Bernie. But uh, he's the only one that actually has increased in my estimation. Um in terms and, and Mike, and just as an example, if, if people will remember 2015, um, Bernie shot out the gate with yep. fight for 15. Right. Fight for 15. And then Hillary, she saw where the winds were blowing, was like, well, let me do my centrist Democrat thing and go 12. Right. Do we even hear the 12 word anymore? No. It's gone. It's gone. It doesn't freaking exist anymore. It's 15 a bus now. And right. that's because of Bernie. You know, 100%. like that's why it's important. And like, the social that, movements, and the social movements. Which exactly. Yeah, and you can't, you, you know, you know, you can't discount that stuff. But I'm just saying, like, five for fifteen is just an example of that. Like, there is no twelve. That's out of this discussion. It's fifteen now. You know, and so you know, big up to Julian Castro for what he's doing. Um, Mike just proved to you that he's not one of these stubborn assholes. He is capable of changing his mind. Now. Switching gears, but not really, Mike. Um, the three ladies from the squad decided that they were all going to come out en masse and endorse Bernie Sanders' candidacy to become the next president of the United States of America. Um, I wasn't surprised, particularly with AOC. I saw some people was like, because she's played nice with Pelosi and she shows love to Warren and, you know, like that there was a chance that she might go Warren. I'm like, excuse me, Democratic Socialists of America, like, hello, what are y'all talking about? This The, the, the choice is not, it's not even up for debate. That was always going to happen. And obviously, Ilyana Omar, like, we knew this was going to happen, but I thought it was dope. And, you know, it's one of those things, Mike, where I'm of two minds where, I know there are squishy-ass, centrist, center-left people in the party who are actually deathly afraid of Ilyan Omar. And I'm talking about within the constituency. Um, but I don't care. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I understand that they're afraid of AOC, but I don't care. Um, I'm happy that this happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I think it's... I, will, I, I just want to say first, you know, for me... I mean, you know, they all bring a lot to the table, but I really think that I think Elon Omar is the most important young leader we have in the country. And I, I, I got to admit, I mean, I have my moments of doubting AOC. I never doubted Elon Omar. I think Elon Omar is a really special leader um, and a very, very important one for our time. I mean, obviously, Rashida Tlaib and AOC, they, they all are. And, and I would say, you know, I mean, that's the three. I think Ayanna Presley is cool. She comes to the table on some important things, but she definitely, you know, she's not a progressive, um, you know, she's certainly not a democratic socialist. She doesn't have the same uh, serious commitments that the other three did. I mean, you know, she endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016. So she's, you know, coming from a very different trajectory with regards to transformative politics. You know, she's part of it, obviously, and she's significant. She's a huge amount of charisma. But 
Um, you know, I, I think like when she, you know, votes the wrong way in a BDS bill or doesn't support Bernie, it's, you know, it's, it's not surprising necessarily in Presley's case, but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I think like, look, I think this was actually the smart, this was definitely at the end of the day, actually the smart move because outside of cable news and lobbyists and Washington where, you know, this will earn them, uh, you know, th- th- this will get them disinvited to parties or whatever. But in the real world, uh, it would have done it, it would have actually been extremely harmful, uh, I think, you know, for, for people like AOC, whose whole political career was paved by the Sanders run and who yeah. really are saying we need to do something big here. Well, yep. Bernie's the one with the big plans. He's the one with the big movement like it's a no brainer. And the other funny part has definitely been, you know, I recommend Crystal Ball. She did a hilarious and very smart commentary on the the white feminist meltdown over the squad endorsement, which is, of course, funny because it always just ends up revealing like, you know, that there's no engagement with their ideas, their policies and where they're coming from. Like if you love AOC and you hate Bernie Sanders, then you don't know anything about politics. You're just doing aesthetics. And what they're showing though is that they actually really care about politics and really doing things. And that's why they're with Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And I got to say, I, you know, my favorite thing about these young women is they just fearless. Yeah. They're just fearless. They're unapologetic about what they care about. And I was having this conversation with somebody the other day and I was like, you know, when you coming out for something that's like completely selfish and is about you, it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. You can't take an indignant bombastic tact, right? Like when people hear you going, me, 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 it doesn't matter if you have a point. People are just easily put off by that. But (laughs) when you are being, when you are championing other people and you are working on the behalf of others and their plight, it's your job to be loud and bombastic and impolite and, you know, rub people the wrong way because that's just how it goes, you know. And I want to commend those young women for what they do. And, you know, again, I, I don't know, like, I hear what you're saying with AOC because, not going to lie, she's the savviest of the bunch politically. Um, As hardcore as she is, she knows when to be like, whatever, Nancy Pelosi, I can give you a little W, whatever, such and such. I, she's super savvy. Um, I love the way she operates. She's slick, man. She is so slick. So, you know, even though she is slick, I didn't think to myself, she's not going to endorse Bernie. That would, I mean, that would have shocked me. Honestly, yeah. If she did. No, I mean, I, I mean, it would have been, I think it really shows actually. And it's so funny because so many people who, you know, they're so surprised about it. They, it's so fascinating that both they, they weren't thinking strategically. They don't have an understanding of politics in terms of the relationship between a movement and a constituency. And obviously the core constituency of AOC and Bernie is a huge overlap. And then also, again, more broadly, they just aren't taking their politics seriously. They aren't listening to AOC or Ilan Omar or Rashida Tlaib when they say we need Medicare for all. You know, we need to understand Palestinians are human beings. Like if they were listening to that, there's one candidate that's for that. 
That's Bernie Sanders. That's it. It's not that complicated. Yep. Um, you know, I get it on this pod. We're we're basically Bernie Sanders propaganda bros, but so be it. Honestly, I'm sorry. Like I wouldn't be able to like I couldn't live with myself if I didn't pretend if I pretended and played some games about this election. No, this is uh, stupid. You know to pretend to be neutral and all of that. Yeah. I'm rooting for Bernie. Like it, it's it's ridiculous. It's like important. it. It matters. His views align with mine. Um, yeah, shouts, shouts to the squad once again. And um, lastly, to, to to round this topic off, um, because we are talking about people in the House of Representatives, Elijah Cummings died today, this morning, at the age of 68. Uh, big champion of poor people, working people in the government, you know, aligning in the Congressional Black Caucus. Um, just basically one of the key leadership people in the entire party, not just in the House, but just the Democratic Party apparatus as a whole. You know, a black man, a legend. Uh, you know, it's this terrible, untimely loss. Uh, dude is I, it's, it's hard to explain. Dude is a giant um, within the political realm, man, specifically as a black politician, where even today, you know, representation isn't as robust as you would assume that it is. But this guy was just a lion in 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 the um in the Congress. And uh we just want to take knowledge his death. I don't know if you wanted to say anything, Mike. You know, what just always struck me about Elijah Cummings is just, I mean, one, obviously the work that you talked about on voting rights, civil rights, and and work and labor, but also just, I don't usually chip this out that much because I just don't really see it that much, to be honest. Like, he was so clearly a very decent and good person. Yep. I mean, it, it, I, you know, and I'm not even saying like, oh, you know, most of these politicians or whatever are bad people. I actually don't see it that way either. I, I think, you know, they're... I think a lot of them really are just they're just trying to have a career or trying to have a ride. And that doesn't make them better or worse than a lot of other people. It just so happens that that kind of mediocre careerist energy when you have people's lives in your hands um, has a has a as much more you know dangerous than if you're like working your way up as a sales associate. Right. But in Elijah Cummings case, he clearly really cared about people. He had a huge amount of compassion. He was uh, unbelievable. Uh, you could see his discipline. I mean, his. it's also just the institutional memory. I mean, somebody who took Congress so seriously, understood the workings of it so well, and then had this very strong basic human decency. I, it's a loss, man. It's There's no other way to say it. I mean, he was a, he was a special figure. Yes, rest in peace, Elijah Cummings. Um, you know, our thoughts are with his family and the people who cared about him. Definitely. thank you. I know that this has been hard. I know that you face a lot. I know that you are worried about your family, but this is a part of your destiny. And hopefully this portion of your destiny will lead to a better, a better, a better 
Michael Cohen, a better Donald Trump, a better United States of America, and a better world. And I mean that from the depths of my heart. When we're dancing with the angels, the question will be asked, in 2019, what did we do to make sure we kept our democracy intact? Did we stand on the sidelines and say nothing? So, Mike, uh, this, I, I know you're not very. I, I don't. I don't take you as a Jane the Virgin fan. <laughs> um, that's the show that Gina Rodriguez used to do on the CW. Um, she's in the news again, or not really the news. The internet is pissed off at her because recently on her Instagram live, she was rapping Lauren Hill and said the word nigga and you know whatever. She said nigga along to a rap song, and people went after her, and with a certain level of glee that I think is actually a, a bit warranted. Um, not because I think I'm one of those people who. Specifically when it comes to the Latin stuff, I'm a New York City guy. Like, I'm sorry, I've kind of been indoctrinated into the idea that the Latin people in New York say nigga all the time. Like, that's not that's not something that's going to make me flinch. Of course, as I get older and I actually reflect on the dynamics at play with um, Latinx people and black people specifically in New York City. Um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in policing how this chick decides she wants to rap Lauren Hill songs. I'm not really here for that. But what I do think is interesting was the conversation. And I think the reason why people came after her, Mike, is because in the past she has used just opportunities where black issues or black womanhood was highlighted as an opportunity to say, well, Latins in this and no, all women that. And so people feel like, Hey, man, like you're not you you go out of your way to otherize us. And so why do you then turn around and be like, well, I'm singing along with the songs. I'm part of the black communities. You can't have it both ways. And I'm sorry, Rob Lopez. I know you're not one of them. You you know, you're one of the good ones. But Rob says of, it. I just, I'm sorry, Rob. I apologize. No, Rob, Rob doesn't say that. And that's not what I was going to When you're not on mic, I mean, I, I'm sorry to cause drama. No, what I'm going to say especially is. as a white man, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> what I was going to say was that specifically. Uh, just to be clear now, I'm sorry. I have a paranoia now. For the 10% of people in our beautiful audience, that was a joke. Yes, yes, that was a joke. Just Rob is a good Extremely rap. clear that never happened. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, no, what I was going to say, Mike, is that a lot of times in New York City, specifically growing up, you always hear, they say black, then they say, no, they say white, then they say black and Latino, or black and Hispanic, like they used to say in the 90s. Like, we were always grouped together in, right? Like the when they talked about the incarceration rates and all of these things, which in New York, it was true. Like Puerto Rican people and black people were basically getting locked up, you know, at the same rates, living in poverty at the same rates in New York City, you know, when you consider the 70s, 80s, 90s, all of that stuff. But with the, when you think about and you talk about the lived experience now, oftentimes you notice that Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Colombians, they went out of their way and took pains to otherize themselves. To be like, wait, hold on a minute. I'm Latina or I'm Latino or I'm, you know. And Rob does like, say that. And I'm just like, Rob okay. Say that. 
you know, okay. And again, this is before, you know, you get older and you actually read some books and you actually learn the the ethnic makeup of an island like Dominican Republic, which shares an island with Haiti, which nobody would ever call anything but black, but whatever. Um, and, you know, you meet Dominican people who would tell you, like, no, I was told growing up, you're not black, you're Dominican. You know, and Puerto Ricans is a whole other story and all of that stuff. But now... We're in this space and, you know, we throw around words like intersectionality and this, this, that and the third. And it's always true for black people. And I hate to try to sound like black people are martyrs and black people are saints, but it's just true. It's always true about black people that a a cause of ours will constantly get piggybacked and we'll be like, sure, of course we're down with gay rights. Of course, we want to see Latin people succeed. Of course, black feminists are like, we want our Latin sisters to to do well. That's always the case. But it sometimes, oftentimes, doesn't feel like it's reciprocated in the reverse. Yeah, I mean, my question about that is, um, you know, what is the 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 real, you know, like the the uh, the dialectic or the balance between to me, like. What I hate about stories like this, and and yeah, I, I can't, you know, the the Fuji thing, you know, no comment. To really be outraged by that is completely. I just can't, but you know, and and you know, for better or for worse, that's that's where I'm at now. Like that's my stance in general. Like I'm I'm done, right? Like even by the way, just to be clear again, like no, she shouldn't have done that. But that's not like you know, that's not something I'm going to spend breath on. Um, you know, in, in this context. But what I think is it, it, it's like you have the specific questions of the specific struggles and the specific experience of different sets of people. In this case, black women and, and black people generally that she is overriding with either. Well, what about this other group or um, some kind of all lives matter ish kind of shit? And what I'm interested in, you know, because because I, I am a Marxist and I do read a dude like Adolf Reed, um, this great book, Class Notes, I recommend everybody read. But I guess what I'm saying is, is like there's the I recognize my specific struggle and then I build a bridge out of it, like you were saying, was that connects and overlaps and reinforces with other things. Then there's, you know, there's just my struggle and that's it, which is valid. But I don't know about the political prospects of. And then there's this like, oh, don't talk about your struggle because all lives or whatever, which is always like the garbage racist position. And I don't understand. Like, I guess I mean, I don't know. This might this is probably a hard question to answer, but I'll just throw it out. Like when white people do it, it's really clear why white people do it, because there is a history and a context for that. Why? Like. What is the dynamic like on paper? It would be like, well, obviously, just like we were talking about in New York earlier, like you, you know, like it's probably time to team up because police are choking both of us out. You yep. know what I'm saying? So, like, I when I read this thing, I'm, I'm just generally confused. Honestly, like, Mike, what you know is what it is. Play you, here, it, you, know you know what it is, man. It's yeah. it's. Racism, the racism of Europeans being so powerful and effective in its indoctrination, it rubs off on people, even people who it shouldn't, even black people. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Of course. I mean, 
No, of course, of course, but it's like uh, definitely. I even like I. I feel like even at like a thousand foot view, like absolutely, the way that racism permeates the air we breathe in the United States. But there's just even like I'm reading about her, and a part of me is like, is she like? Does she not have a good? I mean, all right. I'm sorry to take it so shallow, but does she have like a bad PR advisor? Like, why is it like we got the Fuji's thing on Instagram and she just has to wrap? She has to hit that line. I think it's in Ready or Not. She has to. And by the way, like, let me be really petty here. Britain niggas give me Fuji's. Fuji's are definitely mid '90s rap that you can find 15 to go along to without repeating that word. That is like. Very doable. <laughs> there is every single interview you're showing me in the links. Well, I, I'm a hero to all girls. What? What about Latina? Like, it's almost like neurotic and compulsive. It's weird. And, I, I don't know. And, and you know the problem too, Mike, for her, and why I was completely down with um the the the, the hatred that was spewed and the, the 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 mocking that was happening on the internet. Um, you're 35. You're 35 years old, man. I mean, at this point, you gotta, you gotta be better than this by 35. Like 35, not 25 now. Not even 27, 28. I still be like, yo, man, you in your 20s. It's still time to grow and learn and blah blah. You 35. You gotta be. You gotta be more prepared and ready and be more focused about something this important. If you're gonna fake like like fake the funk like you're woke you know what i'm saying um so you know i'm fine with what happened to her but what do you know i bring all, all of this up to say mike um to because people are going to listen to this show and they want to know how to be better allies and all of this thing you don't gotta go what about ism when a black topic comes up do your thing build your movement trust me black people will not tell you that it's not happening to you black people will not tell you that you got it good enough black people trust me that will never be the case because we're used to people doing and saying that shit to us. Um, when you do your thing, trust me, black people are going to embrace you. It don't got to be, well, you know, Asians got it pretty bad too, Waz. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't, yeah, what, like, it's so funny. Like, I just got back from Belfast, right? I mentioned that recently. And it's fascinating when you, because it, it is very, and it's actually really interesting relative to, frankly, like, the shit you hear some Irish people say in the United States, but the IRA, the Catholic faction, right? Because in Ireland is very different. You know, it, it is literally an internally colonized country in, in Europe. And this is where like, when it comes to systems and structures like that, I do see global patterns and, and, you know, just ways of doing things. So like, Europe is, I mean, you know, Ireland is absolutely analogous to Puerto Rico and, and so on. It is a colonial subject. It still even is to some extent, North Northern Ireland, right? And the Catholic side, they identified globally with um, the African National Congress, with they called the what they did in Derry the civil rights struggle in the 60s. And this is a situation where people are getting killed, where people are in internment, where, you know, it's a real situation, right? It is a real colonial subject situation and battle. And what struck me 
you know, you go to the wall with the murals that they have and they have people fighting for Palestinian human rights and they and they keep it up to date. So they have stuff about Yemen. They have a wall that is dedicated to African-American leadership. It's Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, Obama. Right. And it just strikes me because, you know, look, you talk to them. It's not like. Everybody got has a way, I think, you know, generally they filter things through their own struggle. But I'm just saying, like, these people are in more genuine solidarity and also from the perspective of, like, in the modern context, dealing with some pretty serious stuff. And they never say it's the same thing, at least when I had the conversation. Like, it's just uh, it's like, oh, this is an overlap and we have solidarity and we have a shared outlook because we can maybe understand certain things, but not like, you know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, don't talk about it. It's like actually in the midst of us getting detained, we're going to paint a mural about what is happening to African-Americans in the South. You know what I'm saying? Or in the North or wherever. So, yeah, don't like not only don't do what aboutism actually build out from that. And I and you're right. I mean, that's all I can say. I do notice that. And it's crazy because, as I said, like I noticed like, you know, when white people do that, obviously, and, you know, like, oh, the Irish were slaves. But I, I notice every single group do that with black people. And I say that as like an outside observer. Like I, I feel like I don't even have I don't even have more to say about it than that. I've just seen it. <laughs> I've seen, you know, ah, well, you should. Sikhs were treated real bad in India, see? By the way, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. It is But it's fucking weird that that is always presented. Like Weird oppression flex, but okay. I mean, it's like, (laughs) yeah, it's true. And you know what? If if somebody was saying like, oh, you know, you're a Sikh, you never had to deal with anything, okay, that's bullshit. You know, that's the time to bring it up. But the constant barrage that you know that that does seem to happen in literally every conversation that arises and i mean i don't know i mean yeah it's fucking bizarre and uh, <laughs> i'm not adding anything i'm just saying i that's see it. it no 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 I, I, I like that i like that get your shit off yeah gina rodriguez get your shit together <laughs> um people on the internet i mean relax a little bit you know i get it she deserves some repudiation but whatever um digging in the crates of course this is the section of the show where we uh recommend something to the audience a piece of culture whether it be literature music tv movies a podcast um michael what do you got for us this week if you have one unless you want me to start uh check out the revolutions podcast uh i love that podcast love it it's so good (laughs) it's so so good good. that guy's what he's able to put together in terms of like as a as a real historian and the amount of research but also telling like a coherent story it's and it sounds like it's funny i could see how it could sound like a like a heavy lift but he's an amazing storyteller he has got the facts at his fingertips and from I mean, we're talking, I mean, he's doing it clearly. He's, I mean, there's a historical progression going back to, um, to, to England and then the American revolution, French How revolution. I got onto him was, um, Haiti, the Haitian yeah. revolution. Ha- well, no, and he does it. 
it like it, it fits, right? Because then, yes, then after the French, that's what C.L.R. James said, right? That the Haitian Revolution is actually the full fulfillment of the of what the the ideals articulated in the French Revolution, right? And then, yep. uh, and and the contradictions of the French Revolution as an empire, uh, you know, even as it wants liberty and fraternity at home, right? So, uh, liberty and fraternity at home. So, uh, but also um, Mexican revolution, you know, revolutions of um, of Bolivar across Latin America. Now the latest season is getting into Russia. So there's stuff on Marx and Engels. Oh, I mean, this guy, I'm, he's great. (laughs) It's it's wild. And it's one of those only like, you know, I admit I try not to be, but you know, I can be a little contrary. There's things that come along that I'm like, is that really as good as everybody's saying it's good? Right. I, I don't think so. This is one that actually, I mean, I've been onto it for a little while, but I see it pop up everywhere now and it's like, yeah, rightfully so. It's a monster podcast revolutions. I'll check it out. All right. So man, that's crazy, Mike. Cause I actually am going to be rep, uh, recommending a podcast as well. It's deconstructed by Mehdi Hassan. Um, for me, he's probably outside of me and Mike, my favorite political journalist in the game. <laughs> like I love his interview style. Obviously he's a, ridiculously lefty guy like me and Mike. He comes from England and when he has politicians on his show, he's not afraid to confront them, not afraid to ask them hard questions. Um, He's as indignant as me and Mike are on this show about the (laughs) Democrats and their feeble manner. I just love the guy. Like, he is fantastic. And um, obviously Mike would attest to that. But his latest episode... um, He had a professor named David Farris who wrote a book called It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, which is basically a book about how the Republicans have rigged everything in their favor. Um, And in order for the Democrats to get shit done, they're going to have to do the type of shit that they do. They're going to have to use every single constitutional dirty trick in the book to jam shit down their throats exactly the way they've done to us in the last three years. And and not even just the last three years, every single Republican presidency since basically Nixon. Okay, Um, so 35 plus years of Republicans getting in power, not caring about consensus, not caring about reaching over the aisle, doing Everything they want to do whenever they want to do it. Um, this I thought the combination conversation was fascinating about basically this is what they need to do and this is why they need to do it. Um, make sure you check that out. Absolutely. And what I love, though, about that book, the Ferris book, is it's like, yeah, they should be fucking ruthless and play dirty like Republicans. And it's just like the only difference being is that when Democrats, if they actually play dirty, that would mean that like. Puerto Rico would get the right to represent themselves. DC, <laughs> like it's like, yeah, let's be fucking dirty SOBs, just like the Republicans, and therefore guarantee civil rights and people get a right to vote. And there's recognition for Guam, DC, and Puerto Rico. Like, yeah, that real dirty Machiavellian, grimy, <laughs> so grimy. Anyway, yeah. check out Deconstructed's latest episode by Mehdi Hassan featuring David Ferris. 
Um, make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you leave us a fantastic review. Obviously, make sure you become a Patreon of the TMBS show, as well as Count the Dings. Of course, get your tickets to Philly. Um, again, thank you to everybody who was in SF with us. That was fantastic. Um, one of the one of the you know those type of life affirming moments that only happen but so often. So I want to thank everybody that came out for that. We will see you next week. Rob Lopez is the man, even though he's Puerto Rican. I am out. <laughs> <laughs> Later, y'all. Right, guys. Later. Love y'all, man. Love you.